Welcome to the Daily Boogie. Welcome to another edition of the Daily Boogie podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to be with you. Hopefully you can stick around. If you want to get in touch, you can do so on Twitter. Follow me at Boogie Bumper. If you'd like to support the show, please click subscribe on your podcast player or head over to patreon.com forward slash Boogie Bumper. The world's getting crazier every single minute. Today I, I wanted to delve into... Perhaps something we can categorise as a kind of discussion or a study in the irrationality of the modern political discourse. In regards to the current Brett Kavanaugh situation over in the United States, look, obviously this is a, it, it's a difficult topic and it's, it's a highly emotionally charged one. And whilst I I think it is possible to have this discussion without deliberately trying to offend people, I also do that, you know, I, I cast off from this peer with the understanding that regardless of our intentions sometimes, we can't prevent people from getting offended. But that shouldn't stop us from discussing things. And that shouldn't stop us from asking questions. One might say the level of angst, the level of charge of an emotional kind in this particular discussion, if one was taking the cynical view, might say that it's the perfect recipe for a political shitstorm, so to speak. A perfect opportunity to wield polemical swords and cast your opponents as demons for the aim of scoring some points in the run-up to a very important midterm election in the United States. When Donald Trump was elected, one of the very first narratives that emerged from the corporate media machine, the liberal media machine, was that we now live in a post-truth era. In fact, I've got a Washington Post article in front of me here from November 16, 2016. Post-truth named 2016 Word of the Year by Oxford Dictionaries. Even Oxford was getting involved. The two words became one. The Atlantic's David Fromm, this is quoting from the article, who described Trump's dishonesty in May as, quote, qualitatively different than anything before seen from a major party nominee, end quote. None of this seemed to matter significantly to those who supported him. Quote, there is no doubt that even in the quadrennial truth stretching that happens in presidential campaigns, Trump has set a record for fabrication. That was Chris Saliza who wrote that. The same man who, on corporate media, on a cable television network, declared that Donald Trump had zero chance of winning the presidential race. 
one might say, deeply ensconced Chris Saliza in the post-truth era in that moment. Post-truth. So recently, Rachel Mitchell, the prosecutor that was brought on by the GOP during the Kavanaugh slash Dr. Ford hearings, released a memo. And in that memo, she offered some of her opinions, some of her insights after what a, a two-decade career in dealing with cases of aggravated sexual assault and similar for the government as a state prosecutor from Arizona. Of course, all of the links that we refer to here will be in the show notes, so you can go through it yourself. Here are some of the headlines. Here are some of the points that she makes in her memo. Quote, Dr. Ford has not offered a consistent account of when the alleged assault happened. Dr. Ford has struggled to identify Judge Kavanaugh as the assailant by name. When speaking with her husband, Dr. Ford changed her description of the incident to become less specific. Dr. Ford has no memory of key details of the night in question, details that could help corroborate her account. Dr. Ford's account of the alleged assault has not been corroborated by anyone she identified as having attended, including her lifelong friend. Dr. Ford has not offered a consistent account of the alleged assault. Dr. Ford has struggled to recall important recent events relating to her allegations, and her testimony regarding recent events raises further questions about her memory. Dr. Ford's description of the psychological impact of the event raises questions. The activities of Congressional Democrats and Dr. Ford's attorneys likely affected Dr. Ford's account. This is the opinion of a professional in the area of prosecuting aggravated sexual assault crimes, ladies and gentlemen. Now, I did find in the aftermath, people who fell on one side or another tended to do so almost strictly down partisan lines. I'm not sure how true that is today. I'm not sure a week on if that still rings true. There are various polls going around. Some say that support for Donald Trump in light of the Kavanaugh hearings has gone up. Others say women are leaving the GOP. In fact, I think it was NPR who earlier today (laughs) tweeted out that Married women may be leaving the GOP. Of course, my response was, why? Wouldn't that, be, wouldn't that then represent women disobeying their husband's wishes? As Hillary Clinton told us earlier in the year, that women only voted for Donald Trump because their husbands forced them to. Is that fake news? Are we living in a post-truth era? Who's telling the truth in that instance? So Rachel Mitchell, the expert prosecutor, brought in to question both parties. How do you think it was reported? I'll tell you how it was reported. Washington Post, again. Experts question GOP prosecutor's memo on Christine Blasey Ford. Quote, Though Senate Republicans said the memo was helpful, legal experts from both political parties and advocates for victims of sexual assault on Monday questioned how Mitchell could reach such a conclusion without fuller investigation 
and without the ability to cross-examine witnesses such as Mark Judge. Of course, post-truth, Mark Judge himself has signed two statements explicitly stating that he has no recollection of any such event and that he wasn't there for any such event. This, of course, is under threat of perjury if he is misleading or untruthful in that statement. Yet the Democrats and their acolytes in the commentariat continue to call him a witness. Without evidence, without proof, and against the word of the person who is accused of being a witness himself. Post-truth era? You tell me. How about this? From Wikipedia. I know it's a known right-wing conspiracy website, Wikipedia. I'm sure you're aware too. The presumption of innocence. Quote, the UN's Universal Declaration of Human Rights, Article 11. Under the presumption of innocence, the legal burden on proof is thus on the prosecution, which must collect and present compelling evidence to the trier of fact. The trier of fact, being a judge or a jury, is thus restrained and ordered by law to consider only actual evidence and testimony presented in court. The prosecution must, in most cases, prove that the accused is guilty beyond reasonable doubt. If reasonable doubt remains, the accused must be acquitted. Is the UN now existing in a post-truth era? Ladies and gentlemen. During the hearings, I watched all of the hearings. I watched Democrat after Democrat after Democrat fail to ask any kind of concrete, maybe you could say invasive questions at all of Mr. F- of Ms. Ford, Mrs. Ford, Dr. Ford. Instead, we were treated to a litany of statistics and assertions. Statistics taken in isolation, which are all very fair and reasonable, such as the amount of people who come forward after a sexual assault publicly and how difficult it it is for people to come forward after such events. All fair and reasonable. However, merely stating said statistics don't necessarily impugn the target, Brett Kavanaugh, of any kind of guilt. Hour after hour, rather than being questioned and instead being fawned over about bravery, the Democrats created a cognitive environment formed around the rhetoric that they used which then created an inference whereby anyone questioning the accuser becomes an accessory to rape, or at least an enabler of it. Are we allowed to question the assertions made in public hearings, ladies and gentlemen, in the post-truth era? In 1991, Joe Biden made now famous comments, which are being replayed on social media endlessly, 
about the pointlessness of having an FBI investigation in the very similar case regarding another Supreme Court Justice, Clarence Thomas, from the Washington Post today. This is Joe Biden's own words. Rather, rather than being, perhaps, here's something to consider. Joe Biden on tape saying that and what an FBI investigation is and why it would be pointless in this particular instance back in 1991 regarding Clarence Thomas. Now, do you think when being confronted with his own words in a very similar situation, do you think Joe Biden might take a step back and say, yep, that's me, I'm on tape, I said those words, and I stand by them. Well, what if we're living in a post-truth era? And you don't have to address your previous comments. Of course, Justice Kavanaugh is being asked to address comments that he made almost four decades ago in a high school yearbook. But Joe Biden, whilst a sitting senator, is not being asked to address comments he made about another Supreme Court justice who was being accused of sexual impropriety just back in 1991. This is a quote from Joe Biden. What we witnessed yesterday from the Republican Judiciary Committee members was a degree of incentive, blind rage and brute partisanship that threatens not only the Senate and the Supreme Court, It threatens basic faith in fairness and justice that binds this country together. One may ask, well, if it was fair back in 1991, Joe, and if it's fair to ask somebody to explain statements that they may or may not have made in a yearbook 40 years ago, Joe, exactly what kind of fairness are you referring to with comments such as invective, blind rage and brute partisanship for people merely bringing up your own words in regards to the fruitless endeavour of having an FBI investigation. Quote-unquote investigation. Post-truth era? It was talked about that it took the Democrats six weeks to bring this information into any kind of useful sphere. They were, of course, uh, present in closed hearings with Justice Kavanaugh, where any kinds of questions could have been asked. Of course, no questions relating to this were, because it's often spoken about that Dr. Ford did not want to become a public figure that the Democrats were trying to protect her identity, which is why they didn't come forward with the letter, which is why they sat on it for six weeks. So just how did we get here? This is Dr. Ford's testimony in regards to why she came forward. How did you decide to come forward? 
ultimately because reporters were sitting outside of my home and trying to talk to my dog through the window um, to calm the dog down. And a reporter appeared in my graduate classroom and I mistook her for a student. And she came up to ask me a question and I thought that she was a student and it turned out that she was a reporter. So at that point I felt like enough was enough. People were calling my colleagues at Stanford and leaving messages on their voicemails and on their email saying that they knew my name. Clearly people knew my address because they were out in front of my house. And it just, the mounting pressure, it seemed like it was time to just say what I needed to say. I'm sorry. Ladies and gentlemen, are the mainstream media being accused of bullying Miss Ford? A self-confessed victim of sexual assault? To enter the public sphere and publicly accuse a man seeking nomination, well, seeking appointment to the Supreme Court of the United States? Approaching her in her home, trying to talk to her pets through a window? Posing as students to get into her class and then ask her questions. Her own words, the mounting pressure. The mainstream media intimidation tactics. To bring this woman out from the shadows. A woman who said herself that she did not want to become a public figure. That she feared for her safety. Whilst the Democrats who sat on the information for six weeks who had every opportunity to confront... Justice Kavanaugh, with that information in a closed hearing, who had every opportunity to call for an FBI investigation and keep it quiet, to the Senate Republicans, refused to do so. And one way or another, Miss Ford's name and address got to activist journalists in the commentariat. And from there, she was harangued and bullied and stalked until she could take it no more and she became the prize witness. Yet the Democrats profess innocence and say all along, no, 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 no. We only want justice. One must acknowledge that it is a somewhat brutal environment that we're living in now politically and that dirty tricks are the play of the day. Are we allowed to question these inconsistencies which led to this public hearing? Is this the post-truth era? Then, of course, once the letter did become public, hearings, subsequent hearings, where Kavanaugh could have sat down in front of the committee, were delayed for almost two weeks. It was said that Christine Ford had a fear of flying. Whilst people mentioned all of the flights that she's taken in recent times. It was also said by Chuck Grassley that the committee would have been more than okay with heading out to California or wherever Dr. Ford was at the time and meeting with her where she was. She admitted in this hearing, under threat of perjury, that Her lawyers didn't inform her of this development. I guess, therefore, it didn't happen. Is this a post-truth era? 
So one, if one was being cynical and one was being honest and objective about the brutal nature of today's current political climate, the fact that dirty tricks are the play of the day, if one lines up these particular dot points, can one begin to entertain the idea that this was some kind of delay tactic? Or must we not question anything on the side who professes to protect the identity of a self-confessed victim of sexual assault whilst doing everything that they can to drag her into the spotlight and make her into a spectacle? Are we allowed to question that? We're living in the post-truth era. Of course, in the two weeks that followed the leaking, if you want to call it that, of this letter, which exposed the identity of Dr. Ford. It was a feeding frenzy in the corporate mainstream press. How about this one from Newsweek? Brett Kavanaugh, accused of drugging women participating in gang rapes by Michael Avenatti client. Michael Avenatti, who's become somewhat of a favourite of the corporate press, A third woman accused Brett Kavanaugh Wednesday of sexual misconduct, claiming he spiked drinks to, quote, cause girls to become inebriated and was part of gang rapes that occurred at high school parties in the early 1980s. Julie Swetnick alleged in a statement released by her lawyer, Michael Avenatti, that Kavanaugh and his friend, Mark Judge, the man who's being called a witness who says he wasn't there, used to spike the punch at house parties where women were sexually assaulted and raped. Quote, I have a firm recollection of seeing boys lined up outside rooms at many of these parties waiting for their turn with a girl inside the room, she said. These boys included Mark Judge and Brett Kavanaugh. The alleged incidents happened during the years of 1981 and 1982, she said. At the time, Kavanaugh was a student at Georgetown Preparatory School in the suburbs of Washington, D.C. Swetnick said she became a victim of one of these rapes in 1982. She did not allege that Kavanaugh and Judge engaged in the rape, but she said they were present. Quote, During the incident, I was incapacitated without any consent and unable to fight off the boys raping me. I believe I was drugged with quaaludes or something similar placed in what I was drinking. Michael Avenatti's client. Michael Avenatti, of course, did the rounds around CNN, MSNBC and the rest, saying we have undeniable proof. If you're trying to prosecute a public case in a public space with very much a public lawyer that Michael Avenatti is, what kind of effect do you think two weeks of accusations of this nature would have in a political sphere where votes are important on such a partisan issue such as a nomination to the Supreme Court. Accusations that can just swirl and lap up against the front pages of newspapers across the country and the world. Two weeks without a chance to refute them, creating a kind of media environment that is so toxic that any kind of, don't forget, 
any kind of questioning of the allegations is wrong. You must not question the person making the allegations. They must be believed. To question it makes you an accessory to rape or a brutal partisan hack who doesn't care about justice and wants to destroy democracy as we know it. How dare you? How dare you question them? Unless, of course, you're on NBC, where you can question people as much as you like. Headline, Kavanaugh accuser Julie Swetnick alleges he was very aggressive, but her latest interview raises new questions. Well, I guess, okay, has to be believed, and I guess you're allowed to question, but you must believe whatever answer follows at that particular time. Quote, asked in the interview if she specifically saw Kavanaugh or his friend Mark Judge spike drinks, she said she saw Kavanaugh, quote, around the punch containers and had seen him giving red cups to quite a few girls during that time frame. Have you ever bought a girl a drink? Have you ever poured a drink for a woman? Be careful now. You may become an accessory to rape and be accused of being a rapist for two weeks straight in the media. Post-truth era? Swetnick added, I don't know what he did, but I saw him buy them. Yes. Irrefutable evidence, ladies and gentlemen. Perhaps. In a post-truth era. So, when Judge Kavanaugh finally was able to confront his accusers and the accusations... The narratives were already pre-written. The New York Times, ladies and gentlemen. The angry white male caucus. Yep. It's just the racially biased anger of the privileged. Trumpism is all about the fear of losing traditional privilege. This is by Dr. Paul Krugman. Quote, there have been many studies in the for- of the forces driving Trump support, and in particular, the rage that is so pervasive, a feature of the MAGA movement, the rage. Yes, I suspect it's the rage of the MAGA people wearing black masks, hitting people with bike locks, smashing windows on inauguration day, burning down college buildings where Milo Yiannopoulos might do a speech, marching in the streets, threatening to blow up the White House, These are all indicators of the pervasive rage of the MAGA movement. Quote, What Thursday's hearing drove home, however, was that white male rage, I guess it's a specific kind of rage for white males, isn't restricted to blue-collar guys in diners. Oh, isn't that nice? So it's not just the blue-collar white people who have pervasive rage issues. Quote, it's also present among people who have done very well in life's lottery. I I guess it's just lucky studying for year after year after year to become a lawyer and then a judge and then be nominated to the Supreme Court. Just, just luck. Just a roll of the dice. Mr. Johnson, what would you like to do for a living? I'd like to become a justice of the Supreme Court. Do you have any experience? Well, I'm a, I'm a toilet cleaner. I'm a blue-collar guy in a diner. I am white, though. I am white and I have white male rage. Well, you're hired. Get this man on the bench. Stat. 
It's also present among people who've done very well in life's lottery, whom you would normally consider very much part of the elite. In other words, hatred can go along with high income and all too often does. Another example from Vox, Lindsey Graham, Brett Kavanaugh, the unleashing of white male backlash. Friday morning during a meeting of the Senate Judiciary Committee on Brett Kavanaugh's Supreme Court nomination, Senator Lindsey Graham said probably the most honest thing about this hearing that a Republican has said during the entire process. I'm a single white male from South Carolina and I'm told I should just shut up, but I will not shut up. This has always been the subtext of the Republican approach to the sexual assault allegations. Racism, apparently. But now Graham has officially made it the text. Voting yes on Kavanaugh is the battle cry of the reactionary man. You must believe people who make allegations. Are we living in a post-truth era? Whether people voting yes on Justice Kavanaugh is merely an indication of white male rage and backlash, or whether it's a, a wanting and a need to offend the victims of sexual assault like so many Democrats would have you believe, or whether it's merely a manifestation of unreality. It is definitely a study in the irrationality of model, modern political discussion and the commentary that goes along with it. Is America about to overturn the presumption of innocence, a value and ethic that has survived Western civilization for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years? in the name of a shallow political win? Is this a fight for justice or merely a hack political takedown? Maybe one day we won't even be allowed to ask these questions because you must believe. And as somebody who is of the opinion that anybody should be free to believe whatever they want to believe... I find it offensive because despite happily going about my life with people believing whatever they want to believe, when somebody tells me something and suggests to me that I absolutely must believe what they're saying without question, that I mustn't question what I'm being told because this would make me some kind of accessory to white male backlash and rape apologist. Then, of course, my very next move is to start questioning why I'm not allowed to question it. And my question then becomes one to the Democrats. If gentle consideration of all of the data points present in this hearing, in this case, in this environment, and the inconsistencies, and the points of one thing leading to another thing, the delaying, the lying, the intimidation from the media, the accusations, the unfounded accusations, the media campaign. If upon considering all of these things, 
if someone were to come to the conclusion that this is indeed some kind of coordinated political takedown, well then, I guess we can all see why it is imperative for the Democrats to tell you that you must not question them. Thanks for joining us, by the way, guys. If you want to support the show, please head over to patreon.com forward slash boogie bumper or hit subscribe in your podcast app. If you want to follow the conversation, hit me up on Twitter at boogie bumper. Until next time, stay calm, stay rational. God bless. We'll see you soon. Bye bye.